You're listening to Passioners Podcast with Norbert Pustai. It's all about meaning, mission, and passion. How to build a strong personal brand in your industry? How can you find your purpose and mission? What are the key elements of becoming a successful entrepreneur? I will ask these and many of other questions from my guest, Paul Cash. What is B2B marketing and how have you given a new meaning of it with your work? Yeah, so um, so welcome, uh, Norbert. Thanks for having me on your, your podcast channel. Uh, yeah, B2B here. marketing is uh, business to business marketing. It's a fairly old name that's given to the description of um, companies that effectively sell products to other companies as opposed to consumers. And it's been tagged with this, obviously, uh, acronym business to business or B2B. And it is in need of changing for sure. The label has been there for 40 years, but business to business marketing has changed significantly um, in that time frame, especially in the last few years. There's many people who now call it human to human or person to person, uh, P2P as it may be. And that reflects this growing shift in the notion that just because we are buying services from other companies that we don't actually act and think in a rational or logical way, which is the myth that exists. We act pretty much like consumers do to a certain extent. And what I mean by that is that if you're a, a chief technical officer or a, you know, a HR director or a financial director, you still buy an emotion and justify with fact. You buy an emotion and justify with facts. And even in you're in a complex decision-making group. Emotion is still quite a powerful feature in the way that you procure and buy services from other companies. So this notion of human to human or person to person is more important in B2B than ever. And I am one of a number of business leaders, creative entrepreneurs out there who have dedicated their lives to the business to business sector, but are absolutely passionate about changing the perception of business to business, especially uh, away from this poorer cousin of business to consumer marketing. There's lots of exciting things happening within B2B. Um, and one of the biggest trends that we see is this humanizing of business to business to make it more about emotional engagement, to evolve the dialogue away from features to feelings, away from messaging to stories, um, and away from events to experiences, and just bring out that more human and purposeful part of business to business, which is really exciting. You know, B2B is responsible for some of the biggest brands of our generation, the Googles and the Facebooks, uh, the GEs of this world. They're all at their heart business to business kind of brands. So, yeah, giving it new meaning, giving it purpose is, is part, of my, part of my day job. I loved your presentation about Samsung. So when I thought about first Samsung, that uh, mobile company that uh, it first like B2C, but how you addressed uh, your message to the leaders and then to the um, decision makers. Yeah. Yeah, so um, obviously your audience don't have access to that, but yeah, we did a campaign for the business to business part of Samsung UK, which was effectively about how to sell more 
smartphones on business contracts to small medium businesses but also large enterprises who buy fleets of mobile devices in one go and again samsung is very much a feature driven business and feature for feature their phones stack up pretty well against the iphone but we kind of knew that trying to take on apple in the business sector wasn't about a feature war people have this crazy love relationship with with their iphones and we needed to find a more um, emotional way to connect with business audiences to be able to shift their love from Apple to a different place and that's what the more good days campaign we did for Samsung uh, which is on the website uh, roosterpunk.com was all about so yeah that was quite a powerful way of what we call humanizing a business brand by uh, trying to own a feeling and make it resonate with uh, with a business audience would you like to tell a bit more about this uh, campaign Yes, no, I guess um, the insight that we, that we tried to leverage here um, was that it's still true today as it was 50 years ago that when you get home from work, your partner, your wife, your children still say, Daddy, Daddy, did you have a good day at work? And the answer that we give to that question is more and more conditioned by the technology fails that we have specifically on the way home from work and anybody who's had an iphone understands that the battery life pretty much dies after you've had it for a year the the, the quality or the strength of the screen the glass the gorilla glass itself isn't particularly great um, and most people like me who used to be an iphone user were forever trying to make those important calls on the way home or facetime the kids or whatever it might be and actually you would put up a lot with a lot of these deficiencies in the iPhone. And feature for feature, the Samsung device effectively, um, tougher Gorilla Glass, better battery life, etc., helped you get home and not have these bad days, as it were. Um, and we wanted to try and just build that emotional bridge between um, more good days equaling Samsung. Um, and that was kind of core to the campaign, yeah. And we, you know, we executed that as part of what we would call a hyper-local um, business-to-business campaign where we effectively targeted the four biggest cities in the UK, Bristol, London, Manchester and Birmingham, and basically took the campaign to the people um, and got local business audiences involved and had this more good day squad that did a lot of experiential activity in the different regions. And it was a super successful campaign and helped us win best B2B marketing campaign of the year last year. So. Yeah, so a good example of what we call humanizing uh, business brands. Thank you for sharing it. You started your career as a product marketing executive at HP, and now you own the coolest B2B marketing agency in London. What is the story of your journey and what are the biggest lessons you have learned so far? Yeah, so it's quite a crazy story. So I've always wanted to work in advertising ever since I was 14, 15. It was a passion of mine. I used to want to be a copywriter and I would literally be in my bedroom and I'd be writing adverts and I would send them off to uh, agencies in London at the time. They must have uh, had a few laughs on my expense for sure. Um, but I went to university and did a business degree and was lucky enough to get my first job at what was and is a great American organization, Hewlett Packard. And, um, a very values-driven business, a great business to have your first job, 
in and it made me fall in love with technology as a sector. And this was back in the early 90s when technology was still becoming fashionable. And after I left HP, uh, I worked in a marketing agency for uh, just over a year and decided to set up my own agency. So myself and my business partner took a small bank loan each and we set up one of the very first technology specific marketing agencies in the UK, a company called Tidal Wave. And we were lucky enough to grow that business to over 100 people in the space of four years. It was a crazy wow. journey. It was at a time when technology, as I said, was becoming fashionable and brands like Cisco and Vodafone and Microsoft and Oracle were all making their mark on the world. And yeah, what bit us was the technology recession of 2002 when the bubble burst in what was the dot-com section, as it's affectionately known now. The whole marketplace just went into this crazy mini recession. And although we were working with big brands, they still cut budgets and hunkered down. And it was a really tough. So we'd had five years of not really knowing what we were doing, but literally growing with this with the market. And then we had five years of learning how to run a business when times were tough and we had to, you know, make lots of decisions and we made lots of bad decisions. We hired expensive people. We hired the wrong people. We set up offices overseas. But over that 10 year period of, uh, of life, there was some incredible highs um, and some incredible lows. And the highs, I guess, were that um, we were ranked by the Sunday Times and Virgin Atlantic as the uh, fastest growing marketing agency in the UK in 2001 which was a great accolade and we were actually the 11th fastest growing business privately owned in the UK at the time that managed to get us um, a private dinner with Richard Branson <laughs> at his house in Oxford and we had some good chats with him and uh, lots of other entrepreneurs at the time so that was all pretty good so um, oh, yeah nice. I then went on yeah, it was, it was rewarding to be part of that. But I guess looking back now, I didn't understand or wasn't as mindful of appreciating it as much as I would do now. I think life's journey gives you the highs and the lows. And it's not until you've had that combination of all of them that you appreciate some of the, the high points. Um, I sold that agency and uh, just over four years ago, set up Rooster Punk. And Rooster Punk has a very different purpose than my previous agency, Tidal Wave, and the big change is back in the day, as I said, the fashion was with technology and everything was about speeds and feeds and features and benefits. And, you know, almost 20 years later, it really is about the humanizing of that technology and putting people, um, customers and employees at the heart of it and not putting necessarily products at the heart of it. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning is trying to move B2B on and try to build an agency that can become famous for humanizing of, uh, of business brands. In terms of what I've learned, a crazy amount. Um, my, my relationship with my work has cost me two marriages, so there's been a kind of a downside to that. Um, but I wouldn't have changed any of it for the world. I'm very fortunate in terms of I love what I do. And that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned and I would pass on to anybody else, which is find something you're crazy passionate about and give it your all, except there's going to be highs and lows. But even on the bad days, if you still love the job you do, then you're in a pretty good place for sure. Well, thank you for your real honest answer. And I think many of us like what they do, what we do. 
and we are passionate about but it's another thing how you make money out of it and how you build a business and you've built and sold two multi-million pound creative businesses what are the key elements of becoming a successful entrepreneur um i think the key recognition is that you can't do it on your own and although it might be cliched any business that is able to scale and that is a people-based business it's all about the best people so you need to surround yourself with people who are better than you and again that's a cliche and easier to say than find um but there are a few maxims i've learned along the way which is you know hire slowly fire quickly and finding the right people to get on the bus as it were who are committed to the the purpose that you're on um is really important but it's tough finding the right people there are so many errors that i've made in my 20 years in terms of hiring of people that it is a real art form but i absolutely look back and think to myself what made tidal wave successful is that we were lucky that we got a load of people on the bus at the right time and other companies i've had i've struggled to find those right people even though maybe i'm more um more mindful and more experienced it's still difficult to to find the right people so that's a, a tough challenge for sure I think you've got to be humble. I think you've got to take every client meeting as an opportunity to try and be the best you can be. Um, never rest on your laurels. Every day is a new day. Um, I always believe that what separates every company on the planet, the good from the great to the average, is is what I call standards. And the reason why the big companies are are big is because they have a higher standard that they uh, want to achieve and you've really got to look at yourself and say you know where do you play what standards do you want to adopt how do you be bigger and better and not have any self-limiting beliefs to get yourself there um so i'm big on big on belief and big on trying to hold myself accountable to a higher standard and therefore that means employing better people making sure the work you do is as good as it can be and trying to drive that same sense of attitude through the organization but again harder to execute in real life than to say on a podcast for sure yeah we will talk later about the uh, mission and purpose and this topic but what just came to my mind that uh, you mentioned uh, the purposeful company and those people who, who who can understand what is the company purpose so people should talk about the company's purpose and the individual's purpose when they have the job interview and not just about the task and goals? Yeah, so I think in the past 10 years, this word purpose um, has come to the fore. And I guess Simon Sinek and his Start With Why piece of video content has really brought that to life. It's really hard. Not every business needs to be purpose-driven. Not every business needs to be mission-driven. You can have a successful company just by doing the basics of, of good business and having a great product and, and looking after your customers. But I think more and more companies are recognizing these days that there is a war for talent out there and that people don't just want to pick up a paycheck and they want to be part of organizations that have a bigger motive than just making profit. So purpose organizations... Um, are more meaningful in this modern day. Uh, they are a great way to galvanize 
employees. There is a, a good little maxim that I use, which is um, purpose guides, mission drives. And it's important that people understand the difference between a purpose and a mission and a vision, something that we call a PMV framework. And the best way I try to articulate that is um, when you're looking for your purpose, as it were, it really is trying to answer the question, what meaningful difference are we trying to create within our category, within our sector, or within the world? And it is there to guide, but the mission itself is far more pragmatic, and it's how do we execute against mm -hmm. that sense of purpose? What are we trying to do in the next five years that's going to be able to move things along? And I always try to use the NASA example. So NASA's purpose back in the day was to explore the frontiers of space for the benefit of all mankind. But its mission was to get a man on the moon before the Russians. Yeah. So that, that created its focus. And once that mission has been achieved, you can move on to another mission. But the purpose still stays true to NASA for the length of its, uh, you know, its uh it's life cycle, as it were. And then um, vision, obviously, is if we've done a good job in 10 to 15 years, how does the world look different? And yeah, so I think it's really important the companies understand that. But to me, a purpose statement or a mission statement or a vision statement, they're quite benign and difficult sometimes to weave into the fabric of business communications, which is why we prefer to use them as like raw, raw materials of a story and effectively use a good story to be able to engage with with customers and audiences but it's important to go through the process as well um back to this business question how do you test a new service or product idea when you are not sure if there's a, a need for it on the market and how do you find the first paid client how do you so it's a, that's a difficult question to answer um in its entirety, I think the one benefit that we have in this modern digital world is we can test things pretty quickly. We can iterate, we can pivot, and we can move on. There is an expression about you know failing fast, and I think that is something that's very new to the modern business world. And back in the day, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you didn't have the level of insight or research or customers giving you feedback on ideas within this kind of real time that we get it now so i think you've got to be mindful that you need to test and evolve your idea and many business people will tell you that you know this notion of the pivot you know happens pretty much all the time um, while you're trying to fine-tune a business idea and work out where that market fit and product fit is and and things like that so I think you've got to be super flexible, yeah. Um, you've got to you've got to be customer intimate, and what I mean by that is you have to listen to those early stage customers, but you cannot be led by them. You have to have that strong sense of vision and mission and purpose yourself, and uh, that's that's an important part. But um, yeah, getting your first paid client on board. I guess sometimes you've got to give it away for free, get a few uh, beta users on board, and then hopefully the beta users allow you to get a paid client on board a little bit later. But yeah, always tough, but quite exciting to get the first paying client. That's a real milestone. Thank you.
why companies should be purpose-driven? Yeah, as I said, I don't think it's a prerequisite of business. I think there is a, a fascination that every business needs to be purpose-driven, and that's not just the case. Um, to be a purpose-driven organization and to do it well is a real leadership challenge. It's a big commitment to drive that purpose through the organization so it lives and breathes at every touch point. And, and that's not for everybody. I think, you know, in the past 10 years, we've seen lots of companies work with agencies and come up with these grand purpose statements. But the ones who've been able to execute that in the day-to-day, -day, in the grind and grit of their business are few and far between. So it's important that you recognize your own capabilities and your own limitations. And if you are capable of going on a journey to be purpose-driven, great, go for it. But it's not the easy path, it's the hard path. And it requires a lot of commitment and dedication. And uh, yeah, you've got to be mindful of all those consequences of, of trying to be purpose-driven for sure. What is your purpose and mission and how can others find a purpose and mission? What makes it so powerful to know and articulate them? Yeah, so, so my purpose and I guess the wider purpose of, of Rooster Punk is around the humanizing of business to business marketing. Um, so we're all about trying to help organizations marry the functional nature of what they do with a more purposeful and human side. In terms of our mission, it is all about what we call story powered growth. So our putting a man on the moon before the Russians, as it were, is effectively of how we can take these incredibly complex organizations who are incredibly product driven and help them look at the world through stories and how that can engage customers and how that can drive growth in the short term and medium term. So yeah, our purpose is around humanizing business brands and our mission is around story powered growth. And how can others find their own uh, purposes and mission? What's your advice? What was the process in your life you found it? I think um, it can come from many different directions. I think some people have a natural sense of purpose and mission about what they want to achieve. I think for others it's harder and it can come because they read books or they're inspired by other companies and it just opens their minds to seeing the world through a different lens. I think again, back to the point, it's not a prerequisite. You know, you can have a purpose, which is just about um, wanting to build an amazing company. You know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, have a higher purpose, it doesn't need to be socially relevant, but it needs to, you know, galvanize you as an individual. But it also needs to be reflective of the team as well. And that's the nuance, which is sometimes you can have this inner belief which is all about you trying to build something that um, everyone else said you couldn't, but that's about you. You need to somehow be able to extend and scale that belief to your team. And that's where really purpose becomes powerful in terms of how you just spin what the, the guiding principles of the business are that makes it inclusive for everybody in the team. And it's hard. None of this stuff is easy and you can bring agencies in and consultancies in but it's a lot of tough questions, just trying to get to the core reason of why the business exists. Um, but it's, you know, 
it's quite a rewarding thing once you kind of discover it and you get really passionate, excited about it all. It can put real energy into into leadership teams and put real energy into businesses. And I guess that's why companies are looking for it. They're looking for this, you know, disproportionate economic advantage to be gained from just a simple idea. And hmm. you know, that's that's what's exciting about business. Thank you. You were named as one of the top 20 most influential people in B2B marketing. How have you built such a strong personal brand in your industry? What is your advice to those who want to become B2B influencers? Yeah, so I think one of the things is that I've dedicated my career so far to business to business. So I was very young when I set up my first agency. So I was 25 years old. So I've been able to build up that brand as a kind of a, a business leader um, that had quite a lot of success in the early days from, from the beginning. Um, I've been consistent. So I've always tried to be an innovator or evangelize change in the kind of the movement towards making B2B as best it can be or as, as uh, best practice and uh, changing the way that people perceive it. And... I guess platforms like LinkedIn have helped me as an individual to be able to scale my passion and energy for what I do to a, a broader church of people who um, might be interested as well. So I think that, yes, I've been doing it for 20 plus years. B, I've been persistent and consistent in what I say. And C, having a platform like LinkedIn has been able to help me scale that voice, as it were. Yeah. In terms of my advice, I think there are lots of people out there now who are trying to build their personal brand and use thought leadership as a way to be able to engage and make them different in their marketplace. And it's tough because you still need to go out there and say something that is slightly different than everybody else. You need to be able to engage and create content that's interesting and exciting. So the rules and principles that we apply to the brands that we work with are equally true to to us as individuals and it's tough because some people can be hugely intellectual and have great things to say but they don't come across particularly well um, on video or they don't write in a particularly engaging style and yet some people can be great on video but not have a lot of substance behind them and it's a real challenge because unfortunately the world we live in it's more it's more important to be interesting than it is to be right. Yeah. So there's room for everybody. I think that's the exciting thing. You know, everyone's got to find their own lane. Everyone's got to try and find their own style. Um, but yeah, I think it's quite an exciting time in the market to try and become a thought leader, to be able to influence people. And again, I think LinkedIn is a great platform for B2B marketers to be able to do that for sure. Mm. You are also a speaker, you are a business owner, um, a leader, and uh, you've written a book and the 90% of the book was um, done in three months. What was your why and uh, what has this book given to you? So it's quite funny you should ask that question because um, anybody who knows me um, will know that I am not what they call a completed finisher. As in, 
I struggle with the detail and getting things done. And I'm great at the front end and, uh, you know, building big emotional stories and propositions. But I do need a team of people around me to be able to execute. And I guess like most leaders, over time, you recognize what you're good at and what you're weak at. And you need to support that weakness with, with people. So to write a book was a perfect example of me to say to myself, I can do this end to end. Okay. So I literally sat down one day, decided to write the book. Uh, I used PowerPoint as kind of a talk. I wanted to create the book quite graphically as well. And I, it was a book that I self-published and I managed to work with a number of people, project manage, write the book and put the whole thing together and have it as a printed deliverable and on iTunes um, within kind of a year period. And I project managed the whole thing myself. So I can look back and say the why was nobody believed that I could actually write a book and put it out there in the marketplace. It was like, there's no way Paul Cash could do that. But I proved them all wrong. And more to the point, I proved myself wrong. So I can do it when it's needed to do. Um, so that was kind of a, yeah, it was nice just to be able to do that. And uh, what's the book about? So the book was called In Remarkable We Trust. Um, it was published back in uh, October 2012. And it really was my view of the world at the time and trying to help other business leaders and entrepreneurs understand what it takes to build a modern day brand in this crazy age we live in when there is now more technology, more choice, more services, more platforms, more tools than there ever has been before. And it's even harder to get into people's heads and mindset and influence people. So uh, the book was really not a traditional business book. It was uh, more like 150 stories as opposed to say 12 chapters. And each page had a different moral or a different story to tell. The book was very visual. Um, I wanted to write a book or that people could just pick up and read very easily. It wasn't like it was going to be something you needed to dedicate the next three months of your life to get through. Um, so, yeah, so I try to innovate and do, do things a bit differently. Thank you. And um, looking back to your past, do you have anything that you would do differently? And uh, the other question is, what are you proudest of in your life? Yeah, so back in my earlier days when, again, I had this agency called Tidal Wave, uh, When Tidal Wave was um, in its heyday, I was uh, had a check written to me for 19 million pounds to, to buy the company. And I turned it down, or myself and my business partner, we turned it down because we didn't think it was enough money. Uh, and looking back, that was kind of a, a weird moment now, thinking we should have taken that. That was a, that was a good lump of change to be able to, uh, to live your life with. So, but... The reality is life is life. My journey is my journey. I don't regret anything. Things happen for a reason. Um, I've made a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. I'm still passionate about what I do. I've reinvented myself two or three times. I, st I still think I'm current. I like coming to work every day. I like the variety of challenges that the business sector provides. I love working in the technology space. I love working with young people. So I'm very lucky in that respect. Um, in terms of what I'm proudest of in my life, I think I'm proud of the fact that I, I've learned that I have an amazing resilience. 
And while I've had some tough times and good times, it is those tough times that really bring out the character in you and you get to know what you're really made of. And it's, it's rewarding to know that there is character there and in the tough times I've been able to get through them. My proudest moment, I hope, is still to come. I've not achieved what I want to achieve in my life yet. So that keeps driving me. That's my motivation. I want to build a, a company, an agency, whether it's Rooster Punk or maybe it's something different that is capable of making a global impact and um, becoming a, a brand or a company that people talk about uh, and share stories about. And uh, that would make me incredibly proud to achieve that, yeah. You mentioned resilience, so how have you built it? Yeah, I think um, the resilience comes through the tough times. I mean, you know, lots of people start businesses. There are lots of failures. There are lots of tough moments in the first three, four years, from cash flow to people management to getting clients on board. Uh, and it is hard. And you've got to be resilient enough to be able to not stress so much about the tiny detail and sweat the, the little detail where there's, there's people around you who need leadership and they need to feel that the company is moving forward. So I think it's important for entrepreneurs to be really mindful that even though you might feel stressed about work and stressed about the day-to-day -day grind of, of business, you have to present sometimes a different view to your employees and to the world. And you've just got to be emotionally intelligent enough to know how those dynamics play out in your personality. Um, and yeah, that sometimes takes a little bit of time. What is your leadership style? Yeah, it's not something I've ever really thought about if I'm being honest, um, I would probably say it's more visionary than, than practical. I like to take people on a journey. I like to kind of set a big goal and the vision for the company and then try to get the right people on the bus and then build a good team who want to get on there. I'm not particularly good at the detail of how that needs to happen, but in terms of someone who's going to put a rallying cry together and a call to arms and that kind of stuff. That's, that's probably more in my leadership style. Thank you. But, yeah, but I need other leaders around me to, to bring it all to life. And they're equally as important on, on the journey as well. So I'm more of a spiritual leader, I would say than a, um, than I am a pragmatic leader. What does it mean? Spiritual leader? I think, in a lot of organizations, that philosophical view about the purpose and the mission and the vision and where you're trying to go to sometimes requires a spiritual leader to energize people around it all. And it's very different maybe than the way a financial director leader would lead that company. And so, you know, uh, I think Steve Jobs, not saying that I'm anything like him, but he was a great example of a spiritual leader for Apple. Mm -hmm. But again, he was surrounded by amazing people who made him able to live that part of his life to the to the to the max as it were because that's what the company needed at the time so, yeah
We arrived to the end of the podcast. And um, do you have any other message to share with us? No, I just, back to what I said at the beginning, I think just find the stuff that you're passionate about. Find what really gets you excited. And yes, you've got to be commercial about it. But I think if you can project you know, intelligence and passion and motivation for what you do, then the money, the money will flow. Um, you'll find a way to monetize it. Again, easier said than done, but I think, you know, start with some passion. For sure. Thank you very much. Uh, for me, it was a real pleasure because we just met two weeks ago. And uh, when I asked if you could uh, make a podcast with me, you said uh, yes. And um, I love your presentation and I love how you create value in the corporate world. And I think these topics like purposeful storytelling, um, mission, uh, these, these words are really important. And, and uh, being a B2B influencer, I think it's, uh, it's also uh, you have a big influence on others. And, and uh, this is how you create value. And uh, for me, you are a real role model. So thank you very much for uh, being here. Norbert, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you. And I hope uh, your audience uh, enjoyed what we've talked about today. I'm sure. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye.